0: do nothing. Jesus is with us in four ways. In fact, sorry, let me start that again. Jesus is with in four ways. He's with in the Trinity, creation, heaven, and here on earth. Jesus is with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, from eternity to eternity. Before creation, before the world was even created, Jesus was with his Father and the Spirit. We see amazing glimpses of it in the Bible. For example, when Jesus is baptized, the heavens open and the voice of his heavenly Father says, this is my Son with whom I well pleased and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Father, Son and Holy Spirit together with each other has been from eternity to eternity. Jesus is with humanity at creation, walking and talking with them in the garden. We read that in Genesis 3. Jesus is going to be with humanity in heaven. Revelation 21, Here are the words of Jesus. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So Jesus will be with us in heaven. And Jesus is with humanity on earth. He spends three days doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's dying on a cross to atone for uh, the sin of the world in order to liberate us into the resurrection of new life. He spends three years doing with us uh, by teaching his disciples, apprenticing them, uh, guiding them into the life of Jesus to do the things that he did and to become like him. But Jesus spends 30 years in Nazareth, much of it unaccounted for, simply being with his local community, his parents, his religious, uh, the religious structures around the temple as a Jewish boy. Trinity, creation, heaven and earth, Jesus is with. As well as this, we also know that being with happens right through our Christian experience, through conversion, discipleship, and new creation. Conversion means being with Jesus. Hear this from Revelation 3. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to them and will eat with them and they with me. The, the act or experience of conversion is as if Christ is coming into your heart and eating with you. And Anyone who's been a Christian, uh, it's, not a, it's not a kind of monochrome or uniform experience, but, we, but we're able to say, yes, that has been my experience. This is not a religious uh, environment where, uh, where the first experience of Jesus is to do X, Y, and Z, and then maybe I'll make myself presentable to him. My first and last and continuous experience, my experience of conversion, was an experience of dwelling, abiding with, eating with, sharing table with the living Lord of heaven and earth. I stand at the door and knock, Whoever hears my voice and opens a door, I will come to them and I will eat with them and they with me. Conversion is an experience of being with. Discipleship also means being with Jesus. At the Last Supper, before the cross, Jesus taught his disciples to be with him through a meal. Matthew 26, Jesus took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So the life of discipleship, the ongoing experience of what it means to grow into the life of Christ as a Christian is one of partaking in a meal, as the meal of Christ's body. It is the central act of our faith. It's the way we make sense of ourselves and the way we make sense of God is to come to the table, the Eucharist, Mass, Communion. It is an experience of being with primarily, simply sharing the presence of God. And new creation also means being with Jesus. The first thing Jesus does after he's resurrected from the dead is to make breakfast for his disciples. John 21, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. These are disciples who'd abandoned him, betrayed him, slurred him, slandered him, and run away from him. And the first thing he does is stand on the beach and cook breakfast. It's a radical act of being with. So, Trinity... Jesus is with the Father and Spirit from all eternity to all eternity. Creation, Jesus walks and talks with humanity in the garden. Heaven, we will dwell with God and he will dwell with us. On earth, Jesus spends 30 years being with his community. Through conversion, he stands at the door and knocks. And if we let him in, he will come and eat with us. Discipleship, we gather around the table uh, where the body of Christ and the blood is shed in order to partake in the presence and the mystery of his witness with us. And new creation, resurrected life, it is an act of being with. Come and have breakfast with me, he says to the disciples. You are called to a radical life of witness because Jesus is with God and he's with us. What does being with Jesus look like? Well, it looks like this, an all-in commitment to love God. Matthew 22 we just heard it uh, just read just now love the lord your god with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself it's an all in radical commitment with radical implications for our lives here's one radical implication and when when we love god with all of our strength our soul and our mind we we stop putting me, I, at the center of our own stories, in the center of the universe, and, and we love God. We put him at the center of the universe and him at the center of our lives. God is the first thought we have in the morning, and he's the last thought we have before we go to bed. He, he, we, in, we invest our days with moments where we open ourselves to the presence of God to remind ourselves that we need to reorientate, recalibrate, refocus our lives around Jesus because when we don't do that, our lives very quickly get refocused and reordered around ourselves. We, it also has an implication in terms of what we think. What I think about various things or what my opinion is, these, these are all important things. But, but our first point of contact and our, our, our objective stake in the ground is the Bible. We move from a position where we say, "Well, what does culture permit me to say about the Bible? And what does does that permit me to say about God? What are the parameters and boundaries of language and thought and speech? And then, at best, it aligns with what the Bible says. At second best, there's a tension there. And at worst, often, there are some direct contradictions. When we're with God, and we love Him with all our heart, our mind, and our strength, We have to start from a position where we say, I'm going to read culture through the lens of Christ. I'm going to live my life orientated around Jesus and not the other way around. Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and that means that when we come to Christ, we get a perspective or a lens through which we can approach not just our lives, but the life of the world does that mean we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Does it mean that Christians all have to land on the right of the political spectrum or the left of the political spectrum or in the middle of the political spectrum? No, there are Christians of good faith on all sides of the political aisle. I'm not standing up advocating here for a, for a particular kind of human politics. But I am saying if you don't start with God and you don't have a, a radical commitment to the Bible, very quickly you end up being pulled to the left or the right often in much more extreme ways than Jesus would be calling her to being with is a radical commitment to love the Lord your God with all the strength and all your mind and all your might and therefore there is a radical commitment to his word so our prayer and it's the prayer of the Bible Oftentimes the Bible has this prayer it says Lord align me as in recalibrate where I've been bent out of joint straighten me up it says, align me in my body, align me in my heart, and align me in my mind. With what? With your statutes, your precepts, your laws, your decrees, and here's the thing, your living word. What is, who is the living word? The living word is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a prayer you can pray for yourself, and we can pray for ourselves every single day, all day, and every night, all night. If we're not sure, it's a prayer I pray for myself all the time, because I get bent out of shape. I bend myself out of shape all the time. And I say, Lord, would you just realign me today? Just recalibrate me. Make me to align myself with your kingdom and not my own little kingdom. Make me align, to align myself with the King, Lord Jesus, and not the little crown that I try and shove on my head the whole time. Make me to align myself with the purposes, the principles, and the patterns of the living Lord Jesus Christ and not my world. Align me. What does that mean? It's deeply subversive and it's a deep experience of conversion. It subverts... And it converts. Firstly, here are some examples. It does in every single way. Here are some examples. It subverts self-righteousness and converts us to humility. Being with Jesus is to humble yourself. Jesus is God. And by definition, greater than you or me. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master or her master. And what did he do? He washed the feet of his disciples. And therefore, being with Jesus means there is no one whose feet we aren't called to wash, literally or metaphorically. No one who is beneath us. No one who is not good enough for you or me. No one who is not worth our time. No one. Full stop. End of. And I know that we're all, we've all got all sorts of people now probably coming up on our minds thinking like, really? Yes, really. Full stop. No one. Jesus said, it isn't a healthy that need a doctor, it's a sick. And he meant by that to include you and to include me. And in one of this series, we explored what it looked like for Jesus to be with sinners. And we said that doing for other people uh, can include a self-righteous spirit because there's a dynamic of transaction. The one who has the resources or the wherewithal or the power in order to dispense that to those who are less fortunate. Now, that's a really important part of resource management. And it's a really important thing that we engage with. But, but self-righteousness can, get, can survive there. To even doing with, alongside other people, with an outcome of purpose, self-righteousness can survive. But you know where self-righteousness can't survive? Being with. For no other purpose than you are called to be with someone. There's no outcome. You're just kicking the can, chewing the cud, shooting the breeze with them. Because that's what Jesus does with you and that's what Jesus does with me. We are called to be radically with other people and it is deeply subversive of self-righteousness and converts us into the path of humility. Secondly, it subverts individualism and converts us to connection. Being with Jesus, by definition, isn't individualistic. Being with is, by definition, relational. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we're called to know God as Father and to know each other in the church not as friends or acquaintances or colleagues. Brilliant though, those things all are. I'm not disparaging it at all. Please hear me right. Those are wonderful things. But actually, the kingdom of God ups the ante several levels. And if you were here last week and heard Tyler talk about our attitude to the poor, he said, Jesus' beef with most people isn't that they don't do good things for the poor. We can give to charity or we can be kind to the person on our doorstep who's, who's, less, who's got less resources than we have. Those are all good things but Jesus is pretty radical and he says unless you see that person as a brother or a sister, unless you identify with them as family, you have fallen short of the glory of God and you've fallen short of what it means to be radically with other people. Poverty is not about resource management only and good neighborliness, but it is a movement towards the reality of family. And that's what we explored in week two when we looked at Jesus with the poor. And today we're looking at Jesus with the powers. Massive topic. Being with Jesus converts us in the whole area of power. How do we define power? If you look it up in the dictionary, it says this. The ability to do something or to act. The ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. Now let's just pause there. I.e., power, according to the world and the definition in the in the dictionary, is an action, it's a verb, it's something you do. It's those you influence. It's that which you can shift. And this is brilliant. Okay, hear me right. Again, <laughs> to hot water here. ED's phenomenally important. It's the church. We act. Again, last week I thought it was a brilliant point around sadak the hebrew word meaning righteousness on the one hand that is our commitment to private devotion prayer uh, spending time with god and justice on the other hand that we move between the two things and don't see them as binary or polar opposites of two different spheres that they are connected in one and the same way so I just want to say the photograph of Edie yesterday. Many people won't have seen it, but it was, she's one of the youngest members of our congregation, and she was on the Climate March yesterday in central London carrying a placard that said, I like frozen, uh, not melted, brackets, please. <laughs> Which is one of the best posters I've ever seen. And there she was acting. Uh, when, when Joe Davy sets up um, I'm, I'm sorry to sort of name things. I'm actually going off script but I'm going to do it. When Joe Davies sets up Cook Together uh, or, or, or has responded to the recent series on creation care by setting up a two-week fast over COP26 and inviting the whole church to come into it, that is absolutely brilliant. When Naomi Graham at KXC is going to set up a growing hope clinic to work with kids with additional le- needs in our community, that is brilliant news. When we responded to the... Uh, COVID crisis by establishing a food bank here with KXC, that was brilliant. It was a wonderful joy and a privilege to be able to respond in that way. When we were able to refer people to the high food bank at St. Mary's Hornsey Rise, that is brilliant. Action is absolutely brilliant. We can go on and on and on and on and on. But here's what I also want to say, and it's an and at the same time as not either or. Please hear me on this. Okay, so action, good. But here's what we want to say. Jesus also acts. He goes into the temple and upends the money, changes. So with the climate or racial justice or the growing disparity between the rich and the poor, this is a quote I heard recently to say we are now uh, living through an age where the gap between the rich and the poor is growing in every country of the world and that is the first time in human history that it's happened. Or vaccine equity. It is essential that the church engages with and acts in these areas. And at the same time, alongside, even discuss maybe before The power of action. Jesus models the power of presence. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might and all your strength. The Hebrew word for power, the Hebrew word for strength also can be translated as power. The Hebrew word is koat or might. So Jesus is saying, when you love the Lord your God with all your strength, there is a sense in which you are exercising a power at that point. You have agency. It's not a passive act. It is a commitment to engage with the power of God through faith and love by praising him and worshipping him. Jesus in his life, we see a pattern of withdrawing to spend time in the presence of his Father and then engaging with the world around him. And it's something, it's almost like the tide, you see it ebb and flow, ebb and flow, both and, both and, both and. But I wanna to suggest today that I think none of the outworking action of Jesus's ministry can exist without the in, inner commitment to spend time in his Father's presence, to be with his Father. I just wanna briefly explore three areas of power uh, that we see Jesus engaging with. One is political, with the Roman authorities. Uh, one is religious, with the uh, structures and mechanisms of um, the the Jewish temple system and rites around uh, sacrifice and and liberation there. And lastly, a satanic power, which is really fear. In all of these ways, in all of these areas, we see that Jesus is present to God and he's being with his Father. Take, for example, the political one, the distribution of resources. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem in Mark 11. He rides on a donkey. Very simply, without going into all the details, he's making a statement of peace. Horse equaled war. Donkey equaled peace. In the Jewish imagination and in history of the Jewish people, uh, they would have remembered that a great Jewish hero, liberator called Judas Maccabeus, came and liberated the Jewish people in 164 BC from a tyrannical ruler called Antiochus who had desecrated the temple and destroyed their uh, religious way of life. And he rode into Jerusalem on a horse and threw out the hated oppressors. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he's associating himself with the liberative act of a Judas Maccabeus. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come to liberate you from the powers and the structures and the systems of oppression and darkness. But I'm doing it through a different way. I'm doing it riding on a donkey. When Peter cuts the ear off the Roman soldier and they accost him in the Garden of Gethsemane, John 19 John 18 sorry Jesus says put your sword away shall I, not, shall I not drink the cup the father has given me In other words you are right to want to respond to what is an oppressive system and it's completely understandable that you would use the language of the world in order to engage in that act But actually, I've come here to testify or to embody a different kind of power, a new kind of resistance. In John 19, when Jesus stands before the Roman procurator, that is a very powerful person in the Roman uh, province, Pilate, and Pilate says to him, where do you come from? He asked Jesus. And Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, Pilate confused says, do you refuse to speak to me? Just think what's happening here at the moment. He's essentially saying, I'm the Roman procurator. I have the power to let you out of this situation. And you're standing there mute. And Jesus says, sorry, and Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Ask ourselves what's going on here. So I want to move on to the religious dimension as well. Before the Sadducees in Matthew 15, he challenges them and says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? I.e., why do you serve yourselves and not God? Later on in the Gospels, he's standing before Caiaphas, who's the great high priest. And um, my daughter's doing lap at the church as well. Sorry, totally distracts me. She's obviously looking for something sugary. Um, and, and Jesus before Caiaphas refuses to engage or to try to fight for himself. And he ends up being mocked, spat on, and hit. And when we see Jesus engaging with a third kind of power, satanic power in the wilderness, three times Satan gives him the opportunity to fight for himself. If you're starving, why don't you turn these stones to bread? If you're weak, why don't you just command the angels to come and save you? And if you're feeling insecure, why don't you just accept my transaction, which is that you can have the whole world if you'll simply bow down to me. Three times Jesus appeals to scripture. A man shall live on bread alone, not shall, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It, I'll worship only God. That's the command. What's going on? i just pause here. I'm not going to get into the just war argument. Okay, it's complicated. Bonhoeffer, a great martyr, decided that he was going to be part of a plot to kill Hitler. He didn't justify it and say it was a righteous act, but he did say it was a choice between two inadequate and unsatisfactory responses. So I'm not getting into the just war argument, absolutely not making a, an argument here for or against a just war. I'm also, as I've said, not advocating for a political party. As I said, Christians on good faith on all sides of the aisle. But here's what I am saying. When you look at these situations, the way Jesus engages, engages with the political authorities and powers, the religious authorities' powers, and the satanic power of Satan in, in the wilderness, Jesus draws near to God in faith, he leans on his Father, he trusts him, and he contends from that place of presence and love. Jesus is dragging into his ministry the whole history of the Hebrew Scriptures. As a Jewish man, he would have, he would have known the Torah off by heart. He, described him, he also connects himself to King David. And in Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms, there's this amazing bit where David describes himself surrounded in battle. And he says, when you're surrounded in battle, here's how you should pray. Lord, thank you that you've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that. When you are hard-pressed, overwhelmed, intimidated, your first response is to thank God that he's prepared a meal for you in this place of adversity and to share and to dwell with him in presence. So we can say, being with Jesus in a political climate, and let's name it today, of fear, anger, and aggression means presence. We might say, Lord, this situation seems to me entirely unjust and I'm going to do what I feel passionate to do, to march to advocate, to talk, to listen, to vote, to write, to blog, to, to connect with other people of like-minded and try and shift the political landscape, one I owe to the left or the right, and to, into the direction of justice as I perceive it. But what I will not do is move without your presence. I will not rush to engage through panic or fear. I will remind myself That from eternity to eternity, you're with your Father. At creation, you're with humanity. In heaven, we will be with you. On earth, you are with us. When I was converted, you came and ate with me. As I'm discipled by you, I come back time and time again to be with you at your table. And as I learn what it means to be a daughter or a son in the new creation, I'm reminded time again of what it means to be with you. And in the face of the powers, whether they be political powers, religious powers, or satanic powers in the modern world, I will engage, I will act, I will contend, but I will do so always, only, and ever from a place of presence. So as I land, I just want to send some challenges. It hasn't been the funniest talk, not that my talks are very funny, but I was trying to think of some places I could line up, and I couldn't. So here are some challenges. Number one, wake up. I'm talking to myself as much as you. Wake up. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We are living in a meaning-making, storytelling age. And we are living in cloud cuckoo land. If we think that you can survive as a Christian and engage with... A very activist generation without spending time with God, with Jesus. This isn't a beat yourself over the head. And I don't want everyone to leave leave the church thinking, oh my goodness, I can't fit it in. And I'm just, another thing to do. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, if we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our strength, and our mind, we have to prioritize and take seriously being with Jesus. And that does look like hard work sometimes. It's not something that just falls into your lap. How is Jesus the first thought that we have in the morning? Love Jane Williams, Rowan Williams' amazing wife, who said every morning she swings her legs out of bed and says, thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice in it. That's it. Done. How long does that take? Five seconds. It might be that you can give more time in the morning or less. But what, what are we doing to say, Lord, I'm available to you today. I want to be with you today as you are with me. I'm going to contend for that place of presence, even in all the acting and doing that I do today. What's the last thing that I'm looking at or listening to or talking about before I fall asleep? If it's YouTube, it's not good enough. If it's the news, it's not good enough. It has to be something to do with the presence of Christ. literally have to be reading the Bible, but it could be calling to mind an aspect of his nature or just saying, Lord, thank you for the day. I give you the evening. We need to have a no excuses attitude to discipleship. And that means loving the Lord our God with all our strength and all our might. It means spending time with Him every single day as many times as we possibly can. Secondly, we're living in an individual age. And that extends to the religious practices and spirituality. And sometimes I would even say, you know, in the church as well. That just as my politics or just as my preferences or just as, just as, all these other things orientate around my life. So does Jesus. Jesus is somewhere out there in the orbit. And, and I go to him when I need him and I, I listen to him when it's convenient. But, but really, the idea of Jesus being central in my life is, is not a lived reality. Jesus is present in the church. And I would say we have to have an all-in attitude to the church and back it in this generation for the next 10, 15 years. I'm not just talking about the Anglican Church, I love the Anglican Church, I've joined the Anglican Church, it should be clear to all, I'm talking about the capital C Church of God. Um, It's not a time to dial out of church. The next 10, 15, 20 years might be tough, they might not be tough, who knows? Certainly no one knows, it's going to be an uncertain or insecure time. But unless we are taking the church seriously, and we are committing to the church... We are cutting ourselves off from the main vehicle through which God wants to restore, redeem, and renew us. He's not really into individual spirituality. And what by that I mean God doesn't call us all to go to our own little spiritual gyms at home and try to become as buff as we possibly can or as good-looking as we possibly can. That's the opposite of Christianity. It's not a test. We don't all come charging into church and think, Who's the shiniest spiritual person here? We come into the community of sinners. We come into the community of the sick. We come into the community of said, I need a doctor. I need help. And that is the way at the heart of it is we spend time with God and time with each other that extraordinary things can happen. Transformation occurs. Being with each other. And lastly, I would just say, in a political and religious age, where there's very little grace and lots of loud voices and a lot of anger. We need to stay unbelievably close to Jesus. We do need to speak, there will be time to speak. We do need to figure out in fear and trembling and using all the resources of our intelligence and our our communities to work out where I stand on this issue or that issue. That's an important part of what's gonna mean to navigate the next season certainly in the West. But unless we're staying close enough to Jesus to feel his breath on our neck, we're in all sorts of trouble. But if we do stay close to him, we walk in step with him by the Spirit, we allow him to draw near to us and draw ourselves near to him, we have every chance of being part, I believe, of an extraordinary renewal in the church, in this nation around the world. A church that has learned not just to do for God and for each other. And not just to do with each other. Those things are brilliant things. But a church that has truly discovered the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are called to be with Jesus and with each other in radical, subversive, and ultimately converting ways that we might be the people of new creation. Amen? Can we stand and maybe the band can come up for this stage that would be wonderful I'd love to pray pray that in Father thank you you're so gracious and um, Holy Spirit would you come would you come Holy Spirit and do in us what we can't do for ourselves any words that were unhelpful possibly even untrue not quite hitting the mark I pray they'd fall away by your grace but, but the words Lord that for each of us have hit carry some weight would you would you pour the rain of your spirit on them and water them like seeds and grow them in us Holy Spirit would you come Thank you. I want to pray that we'll wake up. I want to pray that we'll wake up. That's it. Lord, wake us up. Jesus, one of the last things you said to your disciples, to your people, was to stay awake and to stay alert. And to be alive to the reality that we can't do this without you. Where we've tried to go it alone, we're sorry. Where we've tried to prove to you, Lord, that we're strong enough to carry the weight of your call, we're so sorry. Where we've neglected first things, we're sorry. Come and teach us. Holy Spirit, would you be merciful and pour your grace upon us this morning and make us to be a community that truly knows what it means to be with Jesus and in him to be with each other and with the world. Give us backbone. Make us to know what it means to wake up with you. And last thing before we fall asleep, for you to be our last thought. To be creative and imaginative about times in the day we can remind ourselves that you're with us. And Lord, build your church. Energize your church. pray that the people outside the church would come in or what they would be coming into isn't a shiny spiritual experience that you could put on any shelf next to all sorts of other spiritual experiences available today, but they'd be coming into the community of new creation where people know what it means to be with you and to be with each other and to be with them. Build your church. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Amen. We're just going to use um, the words of this song um, as a sort of a way of committing ourselves to all that Matt has talked about. Um, If you have children, we're kind of at the stage where you probably need to go and collect them in the next few minutes, um, and then we're going to finish our service. But let's just um, respond in our hearts to all that Matt's been saying as we um, sing these songs with full intention.